I will be reading from Acts 17, verses 26 and 27. And he has made one from one blood every nation of men to dwell on, the face, on all the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings so that, so that they may seek the Lord and hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. Leave your Bible open there, please, to Acts 17. We will use that as the launching point for our lesson today. We are speaking on the difficult topic of race and racism. Let me say this on the outset. There are some who maybe are within the sound of my voice who would look at me as a white male and say he is automatically disqualified because he has no qualifications in and of himself to talk about race or racism. There are some people, maybe the same people, who say he doesn't know what I've been through. He doesn't know what I've seen in my day. He doesn't have the background that I have. He doesn't have the experience that I've had, either with people who have been overtly racist or people who have directed racist actions towards me. Humbly, I'm not going to argue with either one of those points. Humbly, I'm going to say, in and of myself, I am not qualified to talk about or deal with racism. And if I were just to speak about the things that are going on in our world and the difficulties that we have seen on our TV, on uh, social media, going, uh, scrolling across the pages of the internet, pages that we browse, and I start interjecting my own thoughts and my own opinions, there's going to be people that are going to take issue with what I have to say and the opinions that I share. And so humbly, I'm going to say, I don't have the background that some of you have. I don't have the background of living my life as a black person, seeing what I see from the perspective of a black person. Some people might use the term white privilege. I don't ever claim to have had white privilege. I don't know that I've ever claimed it uh, to anybody. But I do know there's some that have automatically said, no, this man, because he's speaking on this topic, is automatically disqualified about talking about race and racism, especially in what we're talking about here today in our country. Brothers and sisters, I want you to understand, I don't intend to give my opinion about it. I don't intend to stand here as a white male before you and preach what I think about what's going on in our country. What I am going to do is focus our attention upon the God of heaven, about his sovereignty, and also what it is that he intends for us and how it is that he intends for us to treat one another because really that's all that matters. When God gives us a commandment like love your neighbor as yourself, I want to be a person that takes that seriously. When God gives me a command that says I want you to treat others like you want to be treated, summarizing uh, or, or, or paraphrasing, I guess, the golden rule in Matthew 7 and 12, I want to be a person that takes that seriously and I hope that you do too. You see, let me start out by saying this. If you're asking the question this morning, or if you have the question in your mind, is racism wrong? According to the Bible, let me tell you in no uncertain terms, yes, it is. It is sinful. There is nothing that's godly about it. To judge somebody based upon the color of their skin, upon their economic background, upon uh, where they come from geographically, yes, that is a sin. If I'm so arrogant that I'm going to look down my nose at somebody else because they don't have the same background or the color skin or, or anything else like that, then yes, I want you to know this morning, racism is absolutely 100% wrong. It is sinful. 
But I want you to understand, brothers and sisters, that this is something we are dealing with in our world and in our country because people don't know the God of heaven. And I want you to understand that the Bible does deal with some very good people who also happen to have some very strong preconceived notions and some really strong backgrounds. Bible deals with racism. The Bible talks about racism. Here are just a couple of notable examples. The first one that I thought of, just thumbing through the book of Genesis, would be from Joseph. We're not necessarily talking about him and his brothers, but when you get to Genesis 39, you remember that he was there in the house of Potiphar serving at his, as his number, uh, number one guy? And as Joseph is there conducting himself, Mrs. Potiphar starts making sexual advances towards him. And as Joseph resists and resists and resists to the point where he has to flee out of the house without his garment, you remember what Miss Potiphar's charge was there in verses 13 and 14 of Genesis 39. Oh, husband, you have brought this Hebrew in here to mock us. Now, if she wasn't thinking racially during that time, what was she thinking about? Husband, you brought this man who is not of our nationality in here and look what he's tried to do. He's tried to rape me. Was Joseph a victim of racism? The answer is yes. You look at the injustice and the pride of Jonah. God tells Jonah, an Israelite, Jonah, you go, a prophet of God. Jonah, you go and you preach to the Ninevites. All of a sudden, in Jonah's mind, he's thinking those rotten, dirty, nasty Assyrians, I don't want to have anything to do with them. And God says, you go and you preach to Nineveh. Uh, that's your mission, jo Jonah. And Jonah says, whoops, I'm going to go the complete opposite direction. Why? Because he didn't want to go and preach to those nasty, dirty Assyrians. Jonah had some pretty strong biases. Jonah had some pretty serious issues. But note that God deals with those things over the course of four chapters. I think about Nathaniel. Nathaniel, an Israelite. Philip finds him in John chapter 1. And Philip says, Nathaniel, you won't guess, we have found the Messiah. And we have found the Messiah, and Nathaniel naturally wants to know where. And Philip says, in Nazareth of Galilee. And you remember his response, can anything come that's good out of that backwoods, hick town of Nazareth? Are you kidding me? Surely not. Nathaniel, thinking racially, Nathaniel thinking with prejudice. There was an issue that occurred in the early church, which we'll conclude with this morning from Acts chapter 10, that never really seemed to go, get away. The Jews knew that they were the chosen people of God. They knew that through the, 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 the line of Abraham, through the line of the Israelites, that God was going to bring about the Messiah. And they thought in their minds that that Messiah was going to restore those Jews to this national greatness as, as racially superior, as, as nationally superior than anybody else. Can you imagine their surprise when all of a sudden Peter, Peter preaches a message of hope and repentance to Cornelius and to his family, a Gentile, and says that God has called all things clean, speaking of his vision that he had had. And Peter, having this, this understanding, has to go then to, back to the Jews in Acts chapter 11 and convince them that what he did in preaching to those people that the Jews would have had no relationship with, he convinced them and told them, God's opened the door 
Who are we to forbid what God has opened? When we look at what we're looking at here in Acts chapter 17, we find Paul as the apostle to the Gentiles. And I want you to understand what Paul's point here in Acts chapter 17 is this. That God, the unknown God to the Athenians, to the people who are worshiping everything and their dogs, literally, probably, and, and as they're looking at all these different objects of worship, Paul says, here is the sovereign God, here is the one that you really need to know, and here is the one that you're going to have to answer to one day. That's his point. God is sovereign, and we're going to answer to him. It's not any of these other idols that don't have any power. It's not any of these other things that you're worshiping on on a daily basis. It's the God that you do not know, but you absolutely need to know. And where God has purposed these things for us and where God wants us to understand our commonality as people, I think that we can get that based upon looking and, as I mentioned at the very beginning, focusing our attention upon the sovereign God. Here are three things I want you to understand from Genesis, or excuse me, Acts chapter 17, verses 26 and 27, and then we'll make some applications at the very end. Number one, God has created us all with one common blood God has created us all all with one common blood Paul in talking about the sovereign God he says he has made from one blood the Greek word is haima we talk about people that are hematologists what are their primary concerns blood and what goes into the body. God has made one from, one from one blood every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth. As God has made us one common blood, think about that just for a moment. The same blood that's coursing in you right now, that's keeping you alive and that's preserving your life, the life of the flesh is in the blood. And the same blood that's coursing in you is coursing in the person that you're sitting there in the pew with. Doesn't matter their age. Doesn't matter, their, uh, doesn't matter their physical condition. What's keeping them alive is that blood that keeps going through their veins. Note that it also does not, it doesn't include their nationality. That blood is the same. Why? Because we have a common ancestry. Adam, first man, and Eve, his wife, who he calls the mother of all the living. You know who that includes? That includes everybody. We've got one common blood. Now you say, wait a minute, Andy, I know that there's different blood types. And yes, I'll understand that. I did a little bit of reading on that. You know what I found is that scientists really don't know why there's different blood types. They think it has to do something with geography and and the different problems based upon uh, the conditions in different places and different parts of the world. But you know what? If you went to those places and you asked those people, what's keeping you alive? They would say, my blood. If we go down to the blood bank, we don't have to have a blood bank for white people. We don't have to have a blood bank for uh, black people. We don't have to label specially and say, this blood is specifically is only going to work in Asians. You know, if we had that, we could talk more about the lack of a common blood and the, the more about differences and the more about racism. And more we could look at those things and say, that would probably be okay. But because we've got one common blood, blood is not racist. Blood is going to continue coursing through all people and continue keeping all people alive. It's the first thing we want to say about the sovereign God. The second thing from Acts chapter 17, we all have one common earth. 
Acts 17 and verse 26. This is from the New King James. And he has determined the pre-appointed times, your version may say seasons, and the boundaries of their dwellings. And God created this world good. Everything. Genesis 1 verse 31, when God saw that everything he had created in those six days, he created it very good. God cares about the people that he put here on this earth. God cares about the people that live in the heights of the Himalayas. God cares about the people that live in the deepest, darkest recesses of Africa. God cares about the people who live in the Rocky Mountains. God cares about the people who live here on the Gulf Coastal Plain. And if we talk about why it is that we have different skin colors, you ever think about the fact that maybe that comes from the different parts of the earth that people lived in for the longest time? That how our bodies naturally change, especially in adapting to climate and thinking about how people who are exposed to the sun for a long period of time, their skin gets darker. And over the process of generations and generations and generations, people's skin grows darker. Listen, we're still one here on this earth. And if I'm going to sit here as a person who is in the middle of the Gulf Coastal Plain and see a person who comes from a different part of the world or from a different geographic region and said, oh, you're automatically less than I am, we're forgetting. God made one earth. God made that earth very good. God put the people here that he wanted here on this earth. And if I'm just going to be prejudiced and look down on somebody just based upon what their skin color is or where they come from or, or what their socioeconomic background is, I'm wrong. It's wrong. Number three, God wants us to know that it's not just one common blood. It's not just one common earth that he's given us. It's also about one common purpose. What he wants these Athenians to understand and what we need to understand, brothers and sisters, is this. So that they, the people of one blood, of one earth, all people, so that they should seek the Lord in the hopes that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. Us. One blood, one earth, the people with one purpose. What God wants for all humanity more than anything else is for us to seek him with our whole hearts. Ecclesiastes 12, 13 and 14, as Doug read for us this a moment, uh, man's all is to fear God and keep his commandments. Absolutely. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. What's my job? To seek his righteousness, to seek him, to seek his face. Matthew 6, verse 33. What's my all? to love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And Jesus would couple those together in Matthew 22 and say, and love my neighbor as myself. That's my all. What the devil's going to try and do, however, is he's going to try and sow seeds of differences and sow seeds of discord. Well, you're not of the same blood that I am. You're less of a person than I am. Well, you're not from the same place that I am. You don't understand my background. You don't understand what I've been and what I've seen and where I've been through. No, I don't. But what I do understand is that we have this one purpose, that our purpose is to seek the Lord and to love him and to treat other people like we want to be treated. Brothers and sisters, this message is for us first as the church. 
Because if we don't get this right, nothing else we do under the banner of Christianity is going to be right. We've got to understand God and his sovereignty and what he wants of us as his people. Now, let me give you some attitudinal applications, some things that we can look at with regard to our attitude, and then three practical things that we can do today in our age. Number one, I want you to wisely run our race, Christian race, human race, as a person who wants to please God, who wants to be subject to the sovereign God, wisely running our race means this, number one, that every single soul is valuable to God. Every single person is valuable to God. Every person. But we want to try and throw qualifications into that. We want to try and qualify that in some respect. Think about the people that Jesus dealt with when he was here on this earth. Jesus would often devote time to people that the rest of the world would have thought they're not worth devoting time to. Think about this occasion from Matthew 15. This is probably one of the most poignant. And looking at this Canaanite woman that comes to Jesus... He's already in the region of Tyre and Sidon. They're already outside the playing field for where the Jews thought they ought to be going. They're already out of their comfort zone. But now they've got this Canaanite woman who begins to crumb after Jesus and begins to cry out to him and say, have mercy on me. Help me. Don't you understand? My daughter is is sick. I need your help. And the Bible talks about her going and crying out continually to the point where the apostles say, Lord, send her away. I wonder if Jesus would have said before this, you know what, every life matters to God. And, and the apostles said, yes, sir, yes, sir, amen, absolutely, that's exactly right. But now here's a woman who is crying out desperately for his help and for his attention from Matthew 15. And as she's crying out for his help and for his attention, you see Jesus make, well, in some context, maybe a callous statement. Maybe a statement that some might take as racist. Can you imagine this just for a moment? That as this woman is following this man, as this woman is following Jesus, and as his apostles are over here saying, Lord, send her away. And Jesus turns to them and looks at her and says, you know, it's not right to give what's purpose for the children to the dogs. And causing them to think about the biases and the prejudices that are in their minds and their hearts. And as this woman continually cries out to him, it's his response not to say, forget it, I'm not interested. But he turns around and compliments her faith, not their faith. He compliments her in her desire to to get him to listen. And we might say and look at John 3.16, for God so loved the world One blood, one planet, one earth, one purpose. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever, one blood, one earth, whosoever should believe in him should not perish but have eternal life. From that statement in John 3 verse 16, you know who we find Jesus dealing with in John chapter 4? Samaritan woman, 
A Samaritan strike one, a woman strike two, a woman who'd been married five times before and was living with a man that didn't have a husband strike three. A lot of people would have looked at her and said, she is not worth your time. Brothers and sisters, what God wants us to understand and what Jesus modeled is that every person, every soul matters to God. We are in this race together. God wants us to walk wisely. We've got to realize that every soul matters to God. Number two, we've got to examine ourselves. We've got to examine ourselves. 2 Corinthians 13, verse 5, examine yourselves, he says, in no uncertain terms to see whether you be in the faith. I know that there may be people that grew up with strong prejudices in their household as they were getting older. I understand that in days gone by, you might have grown up in a house where the N-word was something that was common amongst conversation, where people would racially profile different people. And when they would look at different people and, uh, and, and talk just about them in their home, maybe intending ill, maybe not intending ill, but for better or for worse, that's the way it happened in some people's homes. And maybe through you living in that home and having that background, you've grown up with some of those same thoughts and those same attitudes and those same reactions when you see a person of color or a person of of a different uh, different, uh, uh, economic background or a person of a different, well, a different background than you. And we've got to realize that we cannot put on the new man which is renewed in knowledge We cannot put on Christ until we put off something else. Listen, when we come to Christ, we bring all of our preconceived notions, all of our biases, all of our thoughts and will and our own intents, and we sacrifice those things. We lay those things down to say, I want to be a new man. I want to be renewed in knowledge. I want to have his image, and I want to follow him. That's what Colossians 3 is all about. I can't choose to think the same way that I have thought all these years. And please understand, I understand that there's people that struggle legitimately with racial bias. However, to single that out as a worse sin than anything else, well, that's also wrong. But to realize this is something that we each need to look at and each need to deal with on our own and realize that there are sometimes biases that pop up and and preferences that we give that are not godly. And as we check in, as we look and reflect on our own hearts and our own minds, have I given somebody else a cause to look down on the cause of Christ? Because I haven't behaved the way that I ought to with regard to racial matters. I don't want to say or do anything that's going to cause somebody to think less of, well, the job that I do as a person, as a white male preacher, I don't want to, as a Christian, I don't want somebody to look at my life and say, there's a life of a person that you don't want to imitate. There's a life of a person that is not worthy of imitation. And as we open up the word of God, you know what it does? It reflects us. James chapter 1 says it's like a man looking at himself in the mirror. And as I look back and I see the ways that God wants me to behave and how he wants me to treat my neighbor and love my neighbor as myself, I've got some checking in to do. I've got some changing to do. Always. Always. As long as you are here, you are not finished. We're wanting to push on towards maturity. We're wanting to grow in the ways that God wants us to. 
And yes, I understand that those things, the racial bias, may be real in your life. Realize that we need to examine ourselves and pray for God to help us in those things and to lower the barriers uh, that whatever they may be of, of how we look down or, or look sideways at a person and realize that's not the way God, it's not the way our Savior wants us to behave. Number three, weep with those who weep. Weep with those who weep. I don't know if you watched the video of George Floyd. It's hard to watch. There are people that see things in that and that look at that. And let me say this. Brothers and sisters, I don't know that man's heart that did that heinous thing. We don't know his heart. We can assume some things about it. Based upon the fact it was a white man and a black man. But until that police officer that did that horrible, horrible thing opens up his mouth and said, yes, this was racially motivated, and yes, I don't think that black people are as much as white people or as worth, as, worth things as white people. Listen, the only thing that people know is, or the only thing that, that, uh, that's known is that we can't know what that man's motives are until he opens his mouth and tells us what those are. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 2. No man knows the things that are in the man except the man tells them. And as we look at this, there are some that are going to paint this and say, well, he, should, he was just in the wrong place at the wrong time. He should have done this. You know what? What you witnessed if you watched that video, and I don't encourage anybody to watch it, is one man murdering another man. You're witnessing a man who has taken the life of another man. And yes, it is a white man, and yes, it is a black man, and I can weep about that. And I can weep about the loss of the life of George Floyd. I can weep just as strongly about people going and trying to peacefully protest and then having some that incite those people to violence to the where they destroy and burn down houses and burn down businesses and burn down all those things that people have worked so hard to, to, to build up. It's sin. And what I can do as a person is I can weep with the people that are weeping. That's Romans 12, verse 17. And what we need to do in this time is look at ourselves and say, is there an occasion where we can mourn collectively as a nation, as people of a one blood and one race and say, this is wrong. It's wrong. Now is not the time to play armchair quarterback. Now is not the time to sit in judgment of other people and their motives or their thoughts or their intents. Now is the time that we collectively as the people of God and as the nation need to weep for sin and need to understand that we're, we're trying to live godly in Christ Jesus. And part of that is looking and seeing somebody else hurting and suffering and weep with them cry with them and spend time considering them and their sorrow and their hurt and their suffering and their anger and their frustration and as we do that as we do that we understand a little bit more but we also help that person understand that we're trying to love them as we love ourselves 
wisely running our race. Brothers and sisters, we've got to wisely know the time to speak and the time to listen. We've got to wisely know the time to speak and the time to listen. Part of weeping with those who weep is simply listening to somebody else. You know, those people that are protesting and marching and, and the people maybe you've joined in them. I'm, I'm great. Uh, for those people that are going out and that are so frustrated, do you hear what they're saying? Or are we just simply trying to dismiss those things? When we think about weeping with those who weep and wisely learning when to speak and when to listen, we've got to realize something. The Bible talks about both of those things. Paul, in talking about his opportunities and his occasions, he says that for although I've been free from all men, yet I've made myself servant unto all that I may win the more. Paul says, for me, listening is about drawing that person near their one purpose. That was point number three from Acts 17, verse 27. Part of me weeping with those who weep and listening to those people and to, to hearing where they're from and what their background is, is that I want them to have a deeper understanding and a greater knowledge of who Jesus Christ is. I appreciate that. James would say in James chapter 1, uh, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Sometimes we get that exactly opposite. We want to be slow to hear, we want to be swift to speak, and we want to be swift to wrath. And if, boy, there's something that gets under my skin, I'm going to share it. And I'm going to let everybody know from, from here to Timbuktu that this is not right. My opinion, my sensibilities have been offended. Brothers and sisters, let me back up just for a moment. Write down a list. And this is a project for you, maybe homework. Write down a list of all the ways that you identify yourself. Identify myself or yourself as male, husband, father, brother, however it may be. Identify myself as a professional, as a teacher, as a, as a lawyer, as a dentist, or whatever that may be. I identify myself as a Republican or Democrat. I identify myself as an American. I identify myself as a Texan. I identify myself as a patriot. I identify myself as, 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 as fill in the blank. And what's going to happen is all of those identities that we wear and all of those things that we look at ourselves and say, no, I'm that, I'm a diehard in the flesh Republican or I'm a diehard Democrat, what's going to happen is we're going to view things like this and like what our country is going through and we're going to view those things as, well, that offends me as an American. Well, that offends me as, you know, a Republican or a Democrat. And if somebody begins to speak who doesn't share that same background and that same, same, uh, same viewpoint that I have, I'm not going to listen to that. I'm going to turn them off. I'm going to tell them everything about what they're doing wrong and about the way that they're offending me and the way that they're... There's a time to speak. And there's a time to listen. And we dare not confuse those two. And we dare not immediately dismiss somebody because they don't have the same background that we do and they don't have the same opinion that we do but what our purpose ought to do and those of you that post on social media on a routine basis I want you to listen carefully to me what our mindset ought to do 
is not to post articles and say, look at how wrong this person is, and look at how messed up this is. But if you want something to post, post this. I read this article this yesterday about fill in the blank. I know what I think about that, but I'm going to trust more in God and his purposes. Because I don't, to be honest, I don't know of many people that have read articles on social media that somebody's posted and said, you know what, I have just completely changed my mind. You know what, I was totally mixed up on the entire matter. You know what I have found is that when people post things like that, what's going to happen is people are going to get enraged. People are going to get more upset. People are going to grow more discontent. People are going to grow more irritated at things. And all we're doing is fueling the fire. There is a time to speak. There is a time to listen. And we would do well to remember, brothers and sisters, it's not about posting racial injustices. I understand those things are ha happening. And we're going to talk about that here in just a second because that's the next point. But I understand there's things that we don't agree with and things that we would, if we had our way, we would do without. But no matter how you identify yourself, you take that list of everything and all those titles that you wear and you put up the words C-H-R-I-S-T-I-A-N right at the top of the list and draw the line. Because if what I'm doing is not causing somebody else to glorify God or to say, you know what, I need to know the Lord a little better, we may be spinning our wheels. We're not doing what we ought to as Christians. Here's the hard one. Know that racial and social injustices, capital, will come. That's the truth of the matter. There is no amount of protesting, sadly, that will get people to stop thinking the way that they think. There is no amount of rioting or legislation that's going to stop people from thinking evil things in their heart and devising evil plans. There is no amount of legislation that's going to speak to the heart of a person and is going to cause them to say, well, maybe I ought to stop doing that. Or maybe I ought to think differently about my neighbor. There's no amount of those things that are going to happen. Brothers and sisters, as long as we are here in the body, as long as this earth stands, one blood, one earth, one purpose, realize that you're going to find the devil active and sowing the seeds of discord. If you don't think he's active, open up your eyes and look. The opinion about the things that we've been talking about for the last almost three months, COVID-19, find me somebody that doesn't have an opinion about it. Find me somebody that doesn't immediately draw the line and begin to move away from other people. As long as we're here, you can expect the devil's going to be active in his pursuit of trying to divide people. Can I encourage you to do something? When you see things like what we're dealing with today and like what we're dealing with, do all these other things. But realize, brothers and sisters, this is, an, this is the result of sin. This has got the root of sin at its core. James chapter 3 would say, here's the result of people using earthly wisdom. You find envying, self-seeking, existing, confusion, every evil thing. 
when all I've got is just my opinion and my presuppositions and my ways that I feel like people need to behave or not behave, that's exactly what's going to be the result. And you can expect that these things that come along and break our hearts or ought to break our hearts, these things are going to come. These are things that you can adjust and think about attitudinally. And they ought to cause us to think, I want to be more devoted to the God of heaven. I want to think more about him and about what I can do in my life to glorify him. Quickly as we finish, here are three things that you can do practically for our world. Number one, pray for all. One blood, one earth, one purpose. Pray for all to come and see the sovereign God. Brothers and sisters, I still hope practically you're still praying together as a family at 8 p.m. each evening. I know we've kind of left that off the announcements periodically, but if our world needs prayers, it's needed prayers like never before right now. And there are ways that we can pray that can cause people to think and cause our family members to think, if it's up to me, I can't... I can't save myself. If it's up to you, we can't save our world. But what we need to understand is what Paul was trying to do there in Acts chapter 17 is point all of these divisions, the Epicureans, the Stoics, the people that were there to see or hear something new, as he's pointing all these opinions in their pantheistic, uh, pantheistic uh, society. is saying it's not that God, it's not that God, it's not that God, it's not that God, it's not that God. The God that you need to know is the God of heaven, the one who made us of all one blood and one race, who made us of all one blood and one earth and made us of one purpose. Pray for God to, for people to be able to see God. You know, anger, hatred, those things people carry around, those are heavy burdens. Anger and hatred, to be angry at one particular person or entire group of people, and to have that bitterness and that hatred boiled up in your heart, you know what? That is a heavy, heavy burden to bear. What Jesus Christ calls us to do in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30, come unto me all, all, one blood, one earth, all you who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. For somebody that's so consumed by hatred and so consumed by anger, what Jesus Christ calls them to do is lay that down at the foot of his cross and Jesus gives us a cross to take up. And as I follow him every single day, that cross is not easy to bear sometimes. But it's so much easier not dealing with the shame of what I was involved with before and in looking at the shame of Jesus and say, I'll gladly accept that. Jesus wants us to know the sovereign God, and he is the only way to the Father. Number two, brothers and sisters, we need to pray for the church to show the unity that this world so badly needs to see. Ephesians chapter 4, in talking about preserving the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, 
and using those seven ones, Paul in beautiful picture paints the picture of this body that's working together. No parts are the same, but, but they're all doing this purpose so that the, the body can be seen and Christ can be glorified and that Christ as the head can be pleased with our efforts and with our actions. It is a shameful thing, to be honest, in our world that the laws of our land beat the church to this point. It is a shameful thing that in some communities you can still go and you can find a black church of Christ and a white church of Christ. And that in days gone by, it is a shameful thing that if a black person was to come into a white church of Christ, even if they weren't a brother, or if, even if they weren't somebody else, and they were to come in, somebody would meet them at the door and say, you'll feel better, more, more, more comfortable down the road. That is not godly. That is not okay. That has never been okay, even though that's what happened a lot of times in the uh, 40s, 50s, 60s. What Christ wants us to do is to be people who are not holding the, the, the glory of the gospel, the, the, the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ with partiality. James chapter 2 and verse 1. He wants us to see people and see that their souls that matter to God. How about us? Is that the way we treat people, that visitors that come in? Would people that just come in this is a self-reflection question. Would people that come in feel like they were treated differently than maybe a guest who had come in just before them? It's partiality. It's not right. We need to let people know that they're welcome here, that Christ is glorified here, and that we're trying to follow him faithfully here. Last one. Brothers and sisters, we need to be evangelists. This is not just a job for me and Troy. This is not just a job for a few people. But what we are is one blood created, and we are one blood redeemed. Blood of Jesus Christ doesn't just work for black people. The blood of Jesus Christ doesn't just work for white people or Asian or fill in the blank of however you want. We were created with one blood in us, but we were redeemed by one blood for us. And everybody stands at equal ground at the foot of the cross, and that's just the truth of the matter. When you get to passages like Galatians chapter 3, where Paul is making an argument and saying, listen, you can't, be, you can't hold to these outward rights that these racially, people, uh, racially focused people are saying, like the Judaizing teachers, he said, and still be pleasing to Christ. He says... We're all one. We're standing at equal ground at the foot of the cross where there's neither Jew nor Greek nor male nor female nor barbarian or, or, or uh, anything else. We're all the same. Please understand, we're different, but we're all bought with one blood. And what God wants us to understand more than anything else is that we have a responsibility, brothers and sisters, to share the blood of Jesus Christ and to talk about the hope that he gives for all men. I began this morning talking about Acts chapter 10 and how, Paul, or how Peter went to Cornelius. It's interesting to me. As I mentioned, Peter having his own preconceived notions and going and talking to this Gentile, this centurion, this captain, as he goes and talks to him, there are things that have to happen in order to convince Peter that this is the right move to take. And then when he gets back to his people, to his people, the Jews, Jewish Christians, 
He has to then convince them that what he did in taking this action that was not racially motivated but salvation motivated, and he has to go back to them and convince them of what convinced him that everything was okay. You know what that tells me? That tells me that the gospel can change us. The gospel can change our thinking. The good news of Jesus Christ can save anybody. But what it can also do is it can change us from the inside out. Brothers and sisters, while these things are going on in our world, let's weep with those who weep. Let's listen where we have opportunity if somebody wants to talk. Let's talk to them and try and understand more about them and more about what they're going through. But brothers and sisters, let's not continue on. If we have prejudice, preconceived notions, racism in our minds and our hearts, let's not continue holding on to those things because there's not room in a man's heart for being a racist and being a Christian. And that's just the truth of the matter. Let's stand and sing our invitation song.